So good to be with you this morning. I've been um, trying to learn how to be a better communicator. And one of the things that um, has been recommended is that you repeat something um, that you think is particularly important, especially if you can't remember what it is that you need to go and say next. Especially if you can't remember what it is that you need to go and say next. But we are going to look at baptism today. Um, this is something that um, we, we really love and really value and think is really important in the life of this church. It's not just something that is culturally relevant for our particular community of people. This is something that is founded in Scripture and is something that is, is fundamental to our lives as disciples of Jesus. And so, there shouldn't be a comma there, by the way. David Rayner's going to be beating me later. But why is baptism important right now? Because many of us in the room will probably have already been baptized. So there's probably three categories of people. One is that you don't know Jesus and you've not been baptized. Well, today is a fantastic opportunity for you to get to know who Jesus is. And hopefully, over the course of this morning, you will have encountered Jesus in a profound way and get to hear a bit of his good news. You could be here today as a Christian, somebody that's confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but you've not been baptized yet. Well, the water's warm, and there's an opportunity for people to get baptized if you feel the call of the Lord on you this morning to do that. And thirdly, you've confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you have been baptized in water. Why on earth is it important for you to know why baptism in water is so important when it happened in some people's lives many, many years ago. Well, <clears throat> I heard recently that the Burj Khalifa, the um, very tall uh, place, is it Abu Dhabi, Dubai? In Dubai. If you took the steel from its foundations and made it into a really long line, it would stretch around a quarter of the world. The foundations need to be strong. And as Kerry has come and asked us, as, a, as all of his churches, to relay the foundations, the only thing that they will do to you is make you stronger. Just as Jesus comes and encourages us to build our house on the rock, so these foundations that are being relayed into your life will make you stronger. And the truth of the matter is this, is that baptism is not a one-time event that affected you at a moment in history. It is something that is ongoing and powerful in your life today. And the other thing about this as well as we go through it is that it will empower and equip you to share about baptism when you go and share the life and love of Jesus with your colleagues and with your acquaintances and with your friends and with your family so that we can see the extension of the kingdom in a powerful, powerful way. Does that sound good? Excellent. Okay, what we're going to do first is just look a little bit at the context because in your Bibles it might seem a little bit confusing, Okay. So in the NIV, it talks in Hebrews 6.2, the foundation is instruction about cleansing rites, uh, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Uh, in your Bible, it might say baptisms or water baptisms, plural, or it might talk about water rituals or something like that. And that can seem a little bit confusing. What is going on here? Well, the writer to uh, the Hebrews is writing to Hebrews, so there's a Jewish context that's taking place, okay? And there, there is actually a, a Jewish history of a kind of baptism that takes place in the life 
of, uh, of Israel, okay? So when you read um, the Torah, there are instances where people have to go into something called a, uh, a mikveh, which looks very much like a baptism pool. So this is a modern-day mikveh in a... Um, in the synagogue. Thank you very much, whoever was helping me out there. In the synagogue, and uh, in order for them to be ritually pure in um, in the in the event of uh, female or male discharge would be one example, and there's quite a few others. They would need to totally immerse themselves to make them ritually pure. And there are still sects of um, Jewish believers today that perform this rite. Okay, so that's one element of a full immersion thing that's taking place. Another one is Gentile conversion to Judaism. Okay, so if you were a Gentile, if you're somebody that didn't believe in Yahweh and you wanted to, you would, you would confess, you would give an offering, you would be circumcised, and then you would be dunked in a pool to make yourselves ritually pure, to make yourselves no longer unclean. And then you get the baptism of John. John the Baptist comes along And he says, you need to be baptized for repentance as well. And so he takes the people back to the River Jordan. And the River Jordan is this really important geographical landmark in the life and history of Israel because this is the place where the Israelites entered into the promised land. And so John was taking them back in and said, we need to repent. We need to turn back to our original covenant promises with God and recommit ourselves to what God wants in our life. And then you get the baptism of Jesus, okay? Which is what we're going to talk about today. So when the writer to the Hebrews is putting this in the plural, he's talking about water cleansing rites or whatever, don't be alarmed. It's because there's a context behind it. And we are coming from a totally different context where we don't have all of this background knowledge. And so that's what is taking place there, okay? Why do we do it? Why do we get baptized? Well, Jesus tells us to. Um, in the, uh, in uh, Matthew 28, when he is, just before he is going to go um, and leave the disciples, um, he gives the great commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, which includes baptism, okay? And know this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus tells us to. We could leave it at that. End of message. Get baptized. Because as followers of Jesus, our call is to follow him and to obey him. You know, there isn't a, um, in the Old Testament, there isn't a Hebrew word for obey, they always use the word shema, listen. Because what we have to do is not try and and push into extra super spiritual ways of, of hearing God. What we need to do is to do what we have heard. And that is the mark of a disciple. Are you doing what you have heard? Okay. Um, Jesus did it himself. Don't you love it when technology works? (laughs) hoping and can you flick it for me Ryan please Jesus did it there you go so at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John 
the Baptist in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There's so much stuff going on here, but we're not going to dive into it. The point is, Jesus did it, and we need to be like Jesus. Jesus' disciples did it. And this was something that um, I, uh, I discovered not too long ago. I just kind of flicked past it. But in John 4, now Jesus, it says this, now Jesus uh, learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing them, but his disciples, okay? So during the time of Jesus' ministry, he was baptizing people as well, okay? <clears throat> and then there's the practice of the New Testament church, okay? So, and we're going to go through quite a few of the stories in Acts. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love it very, very much. Um, but we see very, very clearly Jesus institutes something different with baptism that's different from all of their Jewish background, and there's something that's new, and the New Testament church say, we need to make sure that we do this. In fact, it's not just to make sure, it is the very first step that people need to take in their discipleship to Jesus. Okay? Are you with me so far? Excellent. What is it? What is it? Um, there's a really nice story of a woman called Lydia. Lydia of Tyra Tyra, I think it's called. Um, I've, I've just disobeyed my, my uh, kind of advice that I give to people. When you don't know how to pronounce a word in the Bible, just say it with confidence, and nobody else knows. <laughs> they just think, oh, well, you know how to pronounce it. So I've just, uh, I've just uh, ignored that and then drawn attention to it. So there we go. Um, on the Sabbath, <laughs> uh, in Acts 16, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Um, and I think... That is supposed to be that very place in Tyrotyre. We sat down and began to speak to uh, the woman who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyrotyre named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay. This is a really nice little story, okay? And uh, I, I want to draw our attention to it because Lydia would have known exactly what was taking place. She would have known exactly what was taking place um, because she was somebody that dyed cloth, okay? Purple dye back in the... I see some confused looks, good. Um, <clears throat> I see uh, purple cloth back in ancient times was one of the rarest commodities that you could possibly find. Um, it was only the uber-wealthy that could buy it, and in many circumstances, royalty would actually forbid anybody else from having it because they wanted it for themselves. The reason why it was so expensive is because of this beautiful little fella here, um, which is a type of predatory sea snail. And uh, people in a place called Phoenicia, they would gather these up, they would crush them, and they'd get a purple dye out of them. It would take 9,000 of these snails to get one gram of purple dye. 9,000, okay? And so the amount of work that was involved to get this purple color was immense, which is why it was so, so expensive. And what they would do 
is uh, they would take a cloth that was totally unremarkable, they would put it in the water together with a dye, they'd mush it around, and out would come something that was totally new. The old had gone, the new had come. And what they would do is they would baptize the cloth. It would be dipped, immersed, dunked, not poured over, not sprinkled, totally and utterly covered. Okay? That is what the word means. And, and Lydia also, in her ancient context, would have understood that there were baptismal rites that were done, not just within the Jewish context, but across the pagan world. So um, I've got a, a, a quote here. I think it's from the um, Encyclopedia of Religion. Um, it says that baptism could have been used in various pagan mysteries for the transformation of one's life, the removal of sin, symbolic representation, the attainment of greater physical vitality. It was a particularly nasty baptismal rite from the cult of Cybele, where people would be baptized in the blood of a bull for that very purpose. Yeah. Sounds gross. It is gross. Um, and a new beginning and spiritual regeneration. They understood in that ancient context, baptism was full immersion. It was totally under-immersed. And there were all of these spiritual connotations that came with it as well. Okay? We'll go into part of the reason why that is so important a bit later on. Okay? Who's it for? Um, it's simply this. It's for those that have heard, those that have believed, and those that have confessed that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, okay? Um, it's not for people that haven't done that because you're just getting wet, and it's only for people that can do that, okay? And the reason why I'm saying this is because there are some segments of the church that will practice the baptism of babies or the sprinkling of babies, and uh, it's, it's no offense to them or anything like that. It's babies can't make those kinds of decisions. It is just not possible. Okay, so who is baptism for? It's for anybody that can make that decision, for those that have heard, believed, and confessed that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Some people would talk about, there's a couple of instances where it says that the, the jailer or Lydia and her whole household came to believe in the Lord. That word household is much bigger than what we would consider because we just think of our immediate family. Oikos was the, the wider household. It was all the slaves, all of the servants. Um, if they were particularly wealthy, it would have been their, um, not the patrons, the people that looked at the clients. It would have been all of their clients as well. It, it was a bigger enterprise than that. Babies could have been part of that household, but you can't use that argument as an argument to suggest that you can baptize babies. There is nothing that is explicit within Scripture for that. Okay? Um, people would also say, well, how can these people be saved? How can babies be saved if we don't baptize them? I do not think that God would send a baby to an endless eternity without him. That is not a just God that does that. And so I, I just, I don't have much time for those kinds of arguments because our God is much bigger than that. Okay? When do I do it? This is when we get to go through the stories. This is my favorite bit, okay? Acts 2. So in Acts 2, this is um, where we see the inauguration of the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles. Jesus has gone and told them to wait. And so they go and wait in Jerusalem for two weeks. Two weeks they are sitting and praying and fasting and waiting. I probably would have given up after two or three days, and I'm being lenient to myself there. They're waiting for two weeks. Boom, the Holy Spirit comes. 
They're filled um, with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, tongues of fire. They go outside. Peter stands up. He's preaching to the thousands of people the first ever sermon since Jesus has died and raised from the dead and gone back to be with his Father. And as he's preaching, the people come up to him and they say, what must we do to be saved? In fact, it says that their hearts had been pierced. What must we do to be saved? And this is the first time that question has ever been asked. And so Peter better make sure he comes up with the right answer. And he says, repent, be baptized. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we read, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to that number. When? That very day. 3,000 people. It must have been a logistical nightmare. I have no idea how they managed to do it. Imagine us trying to baptize 3,000 people in our... I mean, Lord, bring it. That would be fantastic. 3,000 people. No baptismal course. No, let's just wait, Lynn, and just make sure to see that if your decision is really true and proper. Because the point is this, is that when you share the gospel, you should be bringing people to a place where they have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He is Lord of all. We've been singing it this morning, haven't we? He is Lord of absolutely everything, and that means that he is Lord of my life. So when I make a decision to follow him, I am following him. There is no turning back now. There is absolutely no turning back. Acts 8. This is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip, who... um, (laughs) uh, I I like Philip. He's, uh, He's doing some great things in the book of Acts, and there's this kind of almost a comical scene where, where the Ethiopian eunuch, he sat in his chariot, he's a, he's a man of position, he's an ambassador to Ethiopia, he sat in his chariot, he's going back towards Ethiopia, and uh, he's reading a scroll of Isaiah. And he doesn't have a clue what it's saying, really. And uh, so <laughs> we're drawn into this passage where he's in the chariot, and then Philip just starts running along, running alongside this chariot that's probably pulled by two or three horses, and he's just running along, and he, and he hears the Ethiopian eunuch trying to figure out what's going on. He says, do you understand what, what you're reading? No, no, how can I understand if somebody doesn't tell me? He's like, I can tell you. Off he jumps, and it says that then uh, Philip shared the whole gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, and then we read this. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Okay, immediately. What's uh, even more interesting about this is then the Ethiopian eunuch goes off to a country that isn't really Jewish. It's not Christian. He goes off, and that country becomes one of the major centers of a revolution that spreads across Africa all because of this one man. He's not part of a church family or anything like that. It's, it's amazing what God can do. <clears throat> Acts 9. Um, Saul is on his way, Saul who becomes Paul, Saul is on his way to Damascus to hunt down some Christians. He's already been party to the murder of Stephen. And as he's traveling up there, he sees the risen Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, why is it that you are persecuting me? And, and he's blinded. Jesus tells him to go and wait in Damascus, and somebody's going to come and heal him. And so Jesus then talks to a guy called Ananias. Nice Greek name. 
Ananias. <clears throat> and uh, he says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Saul. And Ananias says, are you sure? Are you sure? You, you know this guy, right? You know that he was party to the whole murder of Stephen and he was going to Damascus to arrest people. Are you, are you really sure? Yes. Yes, I'm sure. And Ananias goes into this room. It's an amazing scene because he sees Saul, this person that's murdered one of his friends, and he extends his hand to him and he says, brother, brother. And he heals him and we read this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And actually, if you read on, it says, and then he strengthened himself by eating some food. Baptized immediately. If there was ever a person you would want to put through the baptismal course, Saul is that person. Acts 10. Peter has had a vision, a bit of a weird vision, where God is trying to tell him that that which was unclean is now no longer unclean. And now is the time for the gospel to be spread amongst the Gentiles. And so it happens that a guy called Cornelius has a dream which tells him to go and send, some, send for Peter. And Peter ends up coming to his house. He comes with an entourage of his friends and he starts preaching this message to Cornelius, is the guy's name, a centurion. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls powerfully on this group of non-Jewish people, this group of Gentiles. And the surprise is not that the Holy Spirit fell. The surprise is that the Holy Spirit fell on a group of Gentiles. Because God's blessing and God's goodness should only be for the Jewish people. God was just breaking open those doors. And so then Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have had. <clears throat> so he ordered, in some versions it says, he commanded that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? There is, there is something about following Jesus that when delegated authority comes into play, there are some things that we just need to command needs to happen. And we can stand here from the front and we can say that if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not been baptized, you must be baptized. There's no shying away from it. There's no getting away from it at all. This is the way it is. And Peter here is talking to a man who is under authority, a centurion, a Roman centurion, and he understands and they're baptized immediately. Acts 16, 14, this is the story of Lydia that we said. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of their household were baptized, she invited us into their home. Um, she was properly baptized, actually, in the very stream that uh, Paul had met her by. That picture that I showed you before, she was probably done there and then immediately. Acts 16, verse 33, this is the story of the jailer's house. Uh, oh, sorry, the jailer. Paul and Silas, they've been arrested, put into prison, earthquake. Uh, all the doors are open. The jailer wakes up. He's terrified because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. He's about to kill himself because he doesn't want to be punished by the Roman authorities. Paul sees what he's about to do. Stop! And he shares the gospel with him. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? We've already heard that before. 
<clears throat> and Paul says that he needs to repent, be baptized. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Immediately. Acts 19, this is the last one. Paul goes to Ephesus here, and uh, when he goes to Ephesus, he meets a bunch of disciples, and he notices that something is wrong. Something's just not quite right. And he says, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, they said, we've only heard about the baptism of John. So Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We also find out that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit at that time too. When do I do it? Immediately. Immediately. And <clears throat> we've been talking about it before, but the, the reason that you do it immediately is because we realize how important it is that we make this decision for Christ. There's... Um, there's, there's a principle within ancient contexts and certainly within some Eastern contexts as well where um, you, you would go to someone that was greater than you and you would ask them for help. It was a system called patronage. And often what the patron would do is they would test the loyalty of the client. Okay? So they go, okay, that's fine. You go off and do this. And when you've done that, then we can talk about what it is that you want my help for. And so we come to Jesus and we confess him as Lord and Savior and we ask him to come into our lives. He says, that's fantastic, wonderful, great, now die. Now you have to die to yourself. <clears throat> and uh, and this, is, this is why baptism is so important because it is more than just this washing. You can see that I've got uh, dirty hands. I've been uh, painting the front of my house. And many people, they think that baptism is, is just a kind of like a, a cleaning of that which is dirty. I'm hoping, I've got a cut on my hand. I'm hoping that it doesn't uh, hurt my hand. It's a washing away of that which is dirty. You take it all off. You're nice and clean. And you can go about your life just as you'd like to. It's not washing off as quickly as I thought it was going to. <clears throat> but the reality is that baptism is so much more than that. It's so, so much more than that. Um, it's power for now. Um, Paul, he writes to the Colossians, and they're going through a bit of a tough time. They're, they're being tempted by the pagan idolaters, uh, wanting to take them back in, and they're being tempted by wanting to live by the law as well. And this is what Paul writes to them. He says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's Colossians 2, by the way, if you want to go there. Verse um, 6 onwards. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. This is what he's talking about with the pagan idolaters which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. So this is a serious battle that's going, taking place here. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. 
He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him through baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, and therefore, so have you. And therefore, so have you. So these Colossians that have been Christians for ages, these, I don't know about ages, but they've been Christians for a while, they've been baptized, they're going through this time of trouble, and Paul says, don't you remember that you were baptized? Don't you remember that you have been totally cut off from any spiritual power that claims to have authority over you? It's not true. It's not true. You were dead, and then you came back to life. And you are now at one with Christ. <clears throat> In um, Ephesians, it says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. We are united as one with Christ. It sets us free, baptism. There's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and uh, they were um, told that they needed to worship a statue of a king. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. And he said, well, I'm going to throw you into some fire then. And uh, they said, you can do that if you want. Our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, I want you to know, we will not bow down before you. And so the king is good to his word and chucks them in the fire, binds them up, says that the fire was so hot that the people that threw them in were burned alive as they were doing it. It's pretty, pretty hot. And what we end up reading is that the king looks inside and he sees all three men and, and somebody, uh, a fourth, looking like the son of the man that's walking around with them as well. And it says that they stepped out of the fire and their binds had been totally burnt away. No damage to them. Totally set free. They stepped into death, bound and enslaved, and came out totally free. And there are people in this room today that think that you are bound. You're not. You're totally set free. The power of baptism is real in your life today. <clears throat> There's a, I was watching a, a video on the, uh, the uh, church, uh, sorry, the letter of, um, where have my notes gone? They've disappeared on me. I was watching a video about the um, letter to the church of uh, Colossae um, earlier on this week. And it said that what Paul is trying to get people to understand is that they can participate in new creation reality right now. And what baptism does is it seals the deal on your salvation and allows you to live fully, totally, authoritatively in the new creation reality that Jesus has laid out for us. <clears throat> in Romans, Paul talks and says that it totally cuts you off from the power of sin. 
that you're united in his death and resurrection, and that you are, you are no longer part of a body of sin, but the body of Christ. And this is really important. It's been great, actually. It's, it's fed in quite nicely, because, how to say, I've done this talk quite a few times before with people on a one-on-one basis. And um, I've always thought there was a little bit more. Always thought there was a little bit more. I said, God, just share with me a little bit more. Just share with me a little bit more. And uh, I just feel that God has been kind of revealing to me how baptism um, brings you into the covenant people of God. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's been great to hear your story this morning, Mick and Steph, of just how influential people have been in your life here. Because <clears throat> what we have to understand is that when we, when we become followers of Jesus, we're not just united with him, but we're united to one another. And, and it, it means, yeah, Jesus talks about it, doesn't he? Whoever does my will, they're my brothers, they're my sisters, they're my mothers. Which to us, where quite a few of us, come, well, we come from a culture of broken families. You're like, oh, well, that's, that's a bit of an important thing. But in an Eastern context, it's like, whoa, Jesus, how dare you say something like that? Because there is nothing that is more important than the ties of family and kinship. Jesus says, exactly. And we are each welcomed into that. And when we, when we go into the waters of baptism, when we die to ourselves, we are raised again and we are birthed into this new family. And it seals the deal on this covenant. Mick and Steph, it's not the word of the Lord because this is just the truth. When you go down to that family, down to that church, down south, you are going to find family. And you're going to have relationships that are as tight as this because we know that when we all follow Jesus, we are willing to lay down our lives for each other. If, if I've been speaking to some people lately and, and they, they, they're just wanting church that they can go along to once every, in a, once every in a while, just go along on a Sunday, don't want to be challenged on anything or anything like that. And I, I just feel something rising in me. Because the reality is, is for people that, that want to live by that gospel, that want to live by that good news, it's a diminished gospel. It is not the gospel that Jesus calls us to live by. And so the, the powers of baptism, it, it sets us free. It cuts us off from sin. It unites us with Jesus. And it unites us with the body of Christ in a really powerful and profound way. <clears throat> and so this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to that. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, you can come to know Jesus. It's very simple. It's not easy. But it'll be the best decision that you ever make in your life. Tony Ling, I remember once saying, I wish Jesus said, if you follow me, you can have a comfortable life. But it's the best life that you can possibly live. If you are here today and you have... Uh, ask Jesus to come into your life, but you've not been baptized, then you can do so today. If you feel a strong call, the waters are warm, we've got spare clothes in the back, and we can make sure that that happens. David Chu is getting baptized after the meeting today. Yeah. What a great, great decision. 
But if in your heart you want your family to be a part of that and to see that that's okay, that's fine. But if you strongly want to get baptized this morning, we can make that happen. And for each of us um, that have been baptized, we have an opportunity to, to step back in to the power of that baptism. And uh, we're just going to ask the worship team to come back up now. <clears throat> and we're just going to worship Jesus and give opportunity <clears throat> for the Spirit just to speak to us. If you, um, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to be at the front. If you want to um, talk about getting baptized, then just come and ask as well. But also, particularly if you feel that you have been bound and you just want to be set free and you want somebody to stand with you in prayer, I don't know what it is that you might be bound in, then just come and uh, ask for prayer and we will do that for you. But Father, we just ask that you would come now Come by your spirit. And I pray that you would reveal to us fresh revelation on the power of baptism. I pray that we would understand how it has long-lasting power in our lives today. I pray that you would give us opportunities to, to speak to others about our own stories of being baptized. And, and, and most importantly, just to share your love and your life and the power of them being able to die to themselves and live life anew with you. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.